This morning I pray that the Lord spoke to you. You know, I, I find that God can speak to us not only through his word, but through worship. When we find and look at the book of Psalms as an example, you see all the way through it, not only David, but others, Asaph and the others, relating how God inhabits the praises of his people. And I believe there's not a better time to petition God, to thank God, than during worship. And so uh, may the Lord just warm your heart and, and restore you, um, not only today, but this week as we start a brand new week. If you have your Bibles, I'd like to invite you to turn with me in them to the book of Acts chapter 7. We're looking at an interesting fellow. Now most of the time when we look at the Bible, we look at the Apostles. But here's a guy named Stephen that was appointed to watch and wait on tables that God elevated in an amazing way through signs and wonders, miracles, insomuch that because of that, the Sanhedrin, the religious order of the day, the organized religion, if you will, became extremely jealous of him. And because of that, a guy just like you and me, God using caused problems. And so he's arrested. He's brought in before the Sanhedrin. He stands before the high priest and the high priest looks at him after saying, well, we heard him say he's going to tear the temple down. All these different things. He said, are these things so? Now, Stephen, who is a, appears to be on trial here, By the end of chapter 7, he puts them on trial because he knew God's word. That's going to be the difference, I believe, in the days to come from those Christians, as the Bible says, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman not to be ashamed, from those who will be blown away by the course and the winds of this world, the winds of doctrine. You see, all of us are going to be challenged in what we believe, whether it's from our co-worker, whether it's from a spouse, whether it's from friends, everyone will be challenged for what they believe. The next question is, do you know what you believe? Now you say, well, Mike, of course I, I think I do. Well, what I'm saying is this. Well, I believe that because that's what our church believes. Or do you believe that because that's what you believe. Big difference. So as we look at chapter 7 again, light review, and then we'll go into more of this incredible sermon that Stephen gives the high priest and the hierarchy of the day. It's incredible to see the wisdom that God gave him to defend his faith. Let's pray. Father, as we go to your word this morning, thank you that you're faithful to each one of us and that you love us and that you want to encourage us and you want to bless us and you want to cause your face to shine in us. Father, in Jesus' name, we ask you now that you would speak to us and that, Lord, you would cause us to remember these things we read. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, the high priest says, verse 1, are these things so? And again, gives Stephen a chance to defend himself. Well, not really. But Stephen starts off, and we talked about this last week, cordial. Friends, I always believe that's a good way 
to do that. Rather than tearing into somebody, I've seen this. I grew up in Southern California and I used to go down to the beach. And as I'd go down there, there'd be some guy with a sandwich sign on. The end is near. He'd have a megaphone, a bullhorn in his hand, and he'd be screaming at people on the beach. And I remember he walked up to this couple laying on a, a, like a, a couple, a large beach towel, and he was just screaming at him. And I'm going, man, buddy, the one thing you forgot is love. Because understanding others is the key to do. Now, I really believe that this is one of the purposes of the Holy Spirit in our life. We, by nature, even as Christians, I would say, well, if they're going to hell, too bad about that. But the Holy Spirit changes us inside and empowers us. And I've shared this many times, but in the Gospels, and Jesus seeing the multitudes had compassion on them. Friends, by nature, that is not us. Hey, listen, I know the way I drive when somebody cuts me off. By nature, I'm not cordial. It's something that God has to do in us. So when somebody asks, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, what happens? Well, first of all, you you, you swing on chandeliers. No, that's not what happens. When you become Spirit-filled, first of all, I believe God puts a boldness in you. Why would he put boldness in us? To reach out to the lost by nature that we wouldn't care about. God puts in you and me a love for the lost. First, considering ourselves, what would it be like to be on our way to hell and no one to tell us how to get out of the mess we're in? Well, that's what the world is, friends. And by the way, as I see the news every day unfold, I had Brad Dacus on with me, a a well-known lawyer from Pacific Justice Institute. And he was on with me on Friday's edition of To Every Man and Answer. And I said, Brad, what percentage do you believe that the American news media tells the truth? What percentage? And he said, honestly, and this is a skilled lawyer, has over 20 offices across the United States defending Christians and organizations from tyranny. He said, probably less than 20%. He said probably more like 10%. The rest is advocacy journalism to mislead the American public, to make them think something other than what's really true. Well, we know that's the case, friends, because we see it over and over again. Misrepresentation of the facts. Well, that's exactly what they did to Stephen. They misquoted what he said. They took what he said out of context and now trying to bring a case against him. So Stephen, because because he knew the Bible, he was able to make a defense for his faith. Now, I've shared this before as well, <clears throat> but it's, I remember, you know, have you ever had those chronoses and kairos? You go, what is that? That moment in time that makes all other time fade away. Now, I know a lot of you have gone on vacation. Today, we have a three-day weekend. A lot of people are not here today because they're on their three-day weekend. But you know what? I don't remember a lot of vacations in my life, places I went with my parents. But I remember the night that we were camping, that it rained and the roof of the tent leaked on me. I remember that as clear as if it happened yesterday. Yet that was 
50 or 60 years ago. But I remember it like it was yesterday. But why did that stand out? And honestly, friends, I can't remember all the fun I had the next day. You see, there's things that happen to us in our life that make time stand still. You might remember where you were at when you heard Princess Diana uh, 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 was killed. You, you might remember, if you're older, where you were at when John F. Kennedy was shot. I remember I came home. I, my mom was watching TV. She was crying. I go, they just shot the president. I, I mean, I remember like it was yesterday. I don't remember anything else that happened that year. But I remember that. It's a moment in time that makes all other time fade away. When we understand that in our lives we're going to be challenged by things, and when we find that when we're under the gun, you need to know God's word, because that's going to make that difference in time, not only for you, but for them as well who you're speaking to. Now we remember he begins to reiterate to the Sanhedrin and to the high priest a little bit of Israel's history. And as we look at it here, it said that, uh, verse 3, let's look, look we're, we're going to just go quickly over this. And God said to him, get out of your country, speaking to Abraham, from your relatives and come to a land that I will show you. Then he came out of the land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in Haran. He didn't go into the promised land, friends. He didn't go into the promised land until after his dad died some 25 years later. Now you say, Mike, why is that relevant? Because I find out a lot of times we, we make people in the Bible bigger than they really are. Jesus is the only big one in the Bible. Everybody else are bozos on this bus, and we all are. Now, There's different levels of bozos, but let me tell you something. We've all failed, come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. And so it took 25 years for really Abraham to really say, okay, God, I'll take that step of faith and go in to the promised land, the land that you, that you said you would show me. He went halfway, but because of his father, he didn't go all the way in. Now I look at this as this. God used Abraham in amazing ways. But yet when we look up close at the scripture, we find that Abraham failed continually. Does that mean anything? Well, that's just uh, what happened there with Abraham. No, that shows me that in spite of your and my failures, God still uses us. What does that tell us again? God is bigger than the things that we've done wrong. I've talked to so many people over the course of a lifetime. They say, well, I'd be a Christian. I'm afraid I'll fail. Let me tell you, you will. It's okay. God's bigger than that. And that to me is great encouragement because we somehow get in our minds, God only uses superstars. No, he uses regular people. But when God gets into the picture, the things that we've done wrong don't seem to matter because it's God's power in us that makes us and causes us to be what he wants us to be. So 25 years, you think sometimes you lollygag a bit? Abraham did. 25 years later, he finally decides to go ahead and take God up on his promise. Well, we come across here, and let's go to to verse 6. 
But God spoke in this way that his descendants would sojourn in a foreign land that he would bring them into bondage and oppress them for 400 years. Now, here we find a couple of interesting things. Again, the Bible talks about being oppressed for 400 years. Now, again, Joseph was in good shape. Uh, he threw a miracle. We'll talk about that here in a minute. But he brings the children of Israel down into Egypt, takes care of them there. And we're going to talk about this in a minute because this is what's important. Things in our life change. Now, one of the things we get here, and uh, we have to kind of, I, I like looking at all of scripture because I, I, I believe it is a very intricate, very interwoven book of the revelation of who God is. And we find if we go into Luke chapter 21, Jesus said this, not, not, not somebody else, but Jesus said this, that Jerusalem will be trodden down by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. Uh, they got half the city in 1948. When the United Nations in 1947 made a declaration that Israel would be then reestablished, partially because of the oppression that Adolf Hitler did to the Jews, some six million uh, being being uh, murdered, and so they made an allocation. The minute in 1948 that they were granted that parcel of land for the Jews for a homeland, the Arabs immediately attacked. And against incredible odds, Israel survived. And subsequently, through the decades, we find that 1967, there was a six-day war. They were outnumbered. Israel was outnumbered six, some people estimate six to 12 to one odds that there would be no way Israel would survive. Israel not only won the war, they won it in six days decimating the Arab intruders. Now, they got the other half of the city of Jerusalem in 1967. You say, well, Mike, what's that? What's so important about that? Simply this, Israel is God's time clock. Now, the idea that is circulating in the world today that the church has replaced Israel, God has no more to do with Israel than he does with Peru, simply do not know their Bible. Because the Bible is very clear concerning biblical prophecy. Now, the Bible says, see, I've told you beforehand. Only the Bible has prophecy in it. The Koran does not have prophecy in it. All these other religious books that are out there do not have prophecy. Why? Because all they have to do is make a prophecy. It doesn't come true. You know, the book is bogus. The Bible is exact, saying that Jerusalem will come back under Jewish control in the last days. In fact, if you read down a couple more verses there in Luke 21, from when Jesus say, says that, the generation that sees these things will not pass away till they all be fulfilled. You say, Mike, where are you going with this? Simply this. In the Bible, we find a generation being anywhere from about 38 to 40 years. Children of Israel wandered in the wilderness. They all died off. Then their children were allowed to go in the promised land. That was about a 40-year generation. We find other places in the Bible stretch it out a little bit. And here we find 
Stephen mentioning about 400 years. In fact, in the Old Testament it says 430 years. Probably Stephen just rounded it off. But here you find a generation being about 100 years. Well, that's okay. The simply the point is this. Jesus said the generation that sees Jerusalem come back under Jewish control will they will not pass away till they're all fulfilled. Man, I'll tell you friends, I saw it, you've seen it. Hey, I believe the Lord's coming back real soon. Now, the reason why I say this and why it's important is because not to be dismayed over the stuff that we see going on, because there's a lot to be dismayed over. As you know, our southern border being over at 9,000 illegal people come across our border every day. That comes out to a quarter million a month. Then you multiply that times a year, we've got about three or four million illegal people just since the last election. Now you stop to think about that, relying on an infrastructure that is under hyperinflation right now. What nation can sustain this kind of stuff? Now, people talk about our broken immigration system. Now, by the way, my relatives, my my uh, grandma and grandpa, they immigrated here too. So I understand that. But here's the point. The reason that we only let so many people into the country a year is so that we can, the infrastructure can handle it. But you overwhelm a nation, everything breaks down. Are they doing this on purpose? Well, personally, I believe they are. Then when you print trillions of dollars, you have no gold to back it up. Just the printing press stamping out dollars. What does that do to your savings? It wipes it out. What am I saying? If your hope is in this world, you're going to be extremely disillusioned. What makes the difference is your faith in God that makes the difference. And when Jesus gives us the signs of the end of his return and a global judgment coming on this world, we need to let our little ears perk up and say, well, God, how will you use me in these days? You see, I I believe all hands on deck. I, I believe that, again, a wise person can see the end. Now, when we realize that we all have our stuff we're into, we're all into our hobbies. We're all into our recreational sporting. We're all into our thing. Okay, what about that? Well, when you begin to realize we're shuffling deck chairs on the Titanic, it doesn't matter. You better do something that's going to last. Well, what is that? Well, this is where when we pray and we let God direct our lives. Now, God, you put in my life the things that belong. You take out of my life the things that don't belong because I don't have enough time left on this earth to play on the wrong side of the fence. Now, friends, again, you think about it for a minute. What does it profit you if you gain the whole world and lose your own soul. What does it profit you if you gain everything only to find a government change where nothing becomes worth anything? Oh, Mike, that can't happen. Happened in 1930 during the Depression. It happens all the time through history. So what the Bible does, what Stephen is doing here, is he's reminding the religious leaders of the day, friends, these weren't the brothels and the bars, and he was, and Stephen was ministering in the bowling alleys. 
No, he was giving the religious Sanhedrin a Bible lesson concerning their dullness of understanding because they couldn't understand the data at hand. Now, friends, that's really important. Because when we stop to think, we find ourselves, we read this and we say, well, how can those Pharisees be so clunky? I have found in my life I can be clunky. Because I begin to believe only what I see rather than what the Bible says, do a righteous judgment, that's after the Spirit of God. We need to be encouraged. We need to know what we believe. Stephen here is now giving them a Bible lesson concerning how God allowed things to happen to get their attention. How the nation who may will be in bondage, I will judge. God's saying, yeah, I'm going to raise up Egypt to bring you into bondage. So when you cry out, I will send a deliverer to you. Makes logical sense. And then when I'm done with Egypt, I will destroy it. Friends, when we look today at what God judged nations over in the past, in the Bible, in Sodom and Gomorrah, all the others you can look at, when the children of Israel went into the promised land with Joshua, just their practices, their idolatry, all the junk they were into, God wiped them out. It was Billy Graham about 20 years ago that said, if God does not judge America, he owes Sodom and Gomorrah an apology. Well, when you stop to look at where we're going, are we getting better as a nation or getting worse? Well, we can pretty much understand that degradation is in vogue. Lawlessness runs supreme. They have video cameras of people sawing catalytic converters out of cars. And instead of, and they say, if you see this happening, don't do anything Call the police. And the police show up an hour and a half later. The guy's long gone. For what? We are living in, in, I believe, those times that if we don't understand, not catalytic converters, the lawlessness that's in the world, one of the key things the Bible says, I believe when the Antichrist comes on the world scene, I don't believe he's going to come on as some wild-eyed, crazy extremist. I think he's going to be Mr. Cool. And he's going to say, hey, we got law and order out of, out of control. Uh, we're, going to, we're going to bring that back in. And the Bible says the world who is so desperate for real leadership, which we don't have anymore, will honor this guy. And the Bible says the world will say, who is able to make war with him? This guy's great. In fact, the people, as the times get worse, God sends during the tribulation period, there's 144,000 Jews that are witnesses and servants of God. You have the two prophets in the streets of Jerusalem warning the people of the world not to take the mark of the beast. Angels literally flying through the midst of heaven warning the people of the earth not to get involved in that. You have all this supernatural stuff going on. And finally, the prophets in the streets are killed. And the Bible says the world exchanges gifts one to another. The prophets are dead. Have a present. By Christmas time. Because they don't want to change. Well, friends, I'll tell you. 
when we look at this, this is not just for certain people. It's for all of us to be Stevens. We all have an obligation to tell a lost and dying world about the love of God. Now, if they don't accept Christ, let me just share this with you. God will use your testimony on Judgment Day for them that they had an opportunity to receive Him as Savior, and they didn't. So just them not accepting Christ and you presenting that to them, I believe these are things that sometimes I believe God allows so that, as the Bible says, none are without excuse. Now we remember that God raised up Joseph. Because his brothers sold him into slavery. And by the way, in the Bible, we find Joseph is a type of Christ. He was rejected. Joseph was by his brethren. Remember, he had the coat of many colors, all that kind of. His brothers got, uh, his other 11 brothers got insanely jealous of him. And, oh, they wanted to do away. They wanted to kill him. And they put him down in a pit. And Judah was actually going to go back and get him out of the pit and let him go. But there was some traveling gypsies on their way down to Egypt. They were going down to a swap meet, I guess. I don't know. And they said, hey, why don't we make a little money here? We'll sell Joseph as a slave to them, and he'll be out of our hair. They sold him as a slave. 20 pieces of silver. Stephen makes the parallel. He says, just as He was rejected by his brethren. You rejected Christ. Just as he was sold for 20 pieces of silver, Jesus was sold for 30 pieces of silver. This story goes on and on all the way through the Bible. Now he says, now a famine, verse 11, and the great trouble came over the land of Egypt and Canaan, Our fathers found no substance. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent out our fathers first. And the second time, Joseph was made known to his brothers, and Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. He said it was the second time. He's saying you didn't recognize him the first time. The second time is when you recognize him. In fact, he goes on now in this story and shows how the children of Israel are blind the first time. He explains to them as Moses came and would have been their deliverer and when he buried, had gotten a fight and protecting one of the Egypt, one of the Hebrew children, killed the Egyptian, buried him in the sand, as we find in the story. They could have been delivered. God sent them a deliverer. They cried out, God sent him a deliverer. They cried out because of the tyranny of Pharaoh on them, and God sent them Moses. But they rejected him. Forty years in the wilderness, on the backside, as we'll read here. He's on the backside of the wilderness. I think it's always an interesting story. He was raised, well, let's just read this story here. Verse 20. This is review for those that, that <laughs> you're going, boy, you're hopscotching through. And no, actually, we went through this last week. At this time, Moses was born, their deliverer. And he was well-pleasing to God and was brought up 
in his father's house for three months. But when he set out, Pharaoh's daughter took him and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was learned in all wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deed. Wait a minute, we got a problem here. He was mighty in words and deed. In fact, they say that he was groomed possibly to be the next Pharaoh. Mighty in word and deed. Now remember, when he was rejected by his own, he went on the backside of the wilderness and he sees a bush burning. And he walks up to this bush and God spoke to him out of, take your shoes off where you're standing is holy ground. Remember the story. And, and, and God spoke to go tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And Moses' reaction was this. I, 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 I can't talk good. That's what he said. I am a man's slow in speech, slow in words. Now, wait a minute. It says here that he was mighty in word and deed. So what happened? Was the 40 years in the wilderness digressing? Was the 40 years being away from his own people caused him to have an inferiority complex? So he felt that he couldn't do that? Or was he maybe a little bit like us and just had a good excuse? Could be. God told him to go do something. He goes, well, I can't do that. I'm not good in, 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 in speech. I'm slow in words and slow in speech. And yet it says here, he was mighty in words. He was schooled by the very best schools that Egypt had. You see, he was raised by Pharaoh's daughter. Which is to me uh, really an interesting thing. Verse 18, it talks about them being in this wilderness, uh, this uh, slavery experience. They were there for 400 years till another king arose who did not know Joseph. Interestingly enough, if you go to Isaiah 52, 4, it says they were oppressed by the Assyrian. They actually had an Assyrian, not an Egyptian, ended up as Pharaoh, and oppressed the children of Israel. The children of Israel cry out, and God sends them a deliverer. Some people today actually believe that one of the things that will cause Jesus to reveal himself to them is when they finally cry out to God, God, reveal yourself to us. You know, it's interesting, you have not because you ask not. And one of the things that the children of Israel will not do is cry out to, to Christ as their Messiah. But this is what Stephen is pointing out. You missed Pharaoh, or excuse me, you missed Joseph the first time when uh, your brothers came down wanting food. You missed him that time. You missed Moses when he killed the Egyptian guard. Uh, You could have been delivered 40 years sooner than you were, but you lived in slavery 40 more years because your rejection of your deliverer, Moses. So, we find in verse 23 in the next few verses there, this story about him going out, visiting his brethren, where he actually um, lays into the Egyptian guard that was oppressing the children of Israel. And so, verse 27, but he, he who did this to his neighbor wrong 
pushed Moses away saying, who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Interesting, that's the same basically thing that the people said to Jesus, we have no king but Caesar. You see, a lot of times spiritual blindness is really powerful stuff. And that's why, again, if you know how God works, you begin to understand his plan for your life. A lot of times we pray, we got it all figured out, God's going to do it, this is going to happen, and this is going to happen. I love it when a plan comes together. And God goes, no, I'm not going to do it like that. Why does he do that? To show us he's bigger than our plans. And God does a lot of other things while he's meeting the need in your life. He talks and he meets the needs in other people's lives as well. And this is one of the great things how God works in us today. Now, when he says that he fled, verse 29, became a sojourner in the land of Midian, where he had two sons, and after 40 years had passed, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame in a burning bush in the wilderness of Mount Sinai. By the way, that bush, the Bible tells us in the Old Testament, was a cakea bush. You say, well, what's so interesting about that? Well, cakea bush is full of thorns. Do you, anybody here know what a Russian olive tree is? They're of the devil. Whenever I have to go out and clean those off my property, I look like I got in a, in a fight with a porcupine. I have blood running down my arms. They got these big long spikes that will go right through your car tires. And what is really interesting to me the curse that came on the world, where God cursed the earth. And you have goat heads, and you have all the weeds, and all the stuff that goes on in this earth. Well, what's interesting about the achia bush is that it has long thorns on it. In fact, many people believe the very crown that Jesus wore was a branch off of an achia bush because it had the crown of thorns. Interesting that people don't sometimes acquaint the crown of thorns to the curse where God cursed the earth and it would bear thorns and thistles and all those kinds of things. And Jesus wore that curse on his head. Interesting, the acacia bush is burning, burning, burning. It didn't burn up. It just kept burning. He was no stranger to the backside of the wilderness. He saw lightning hit trees and stuff and burn up and be gone. But he watched it for a while and realized it wasn't burning up, so he walks over. This is where God told him the plan for his life, at least part of it. Friends, when you see something out of the ordinary, and I've talked about this many times, look for God. When you see something that doesn't fit, look for God. All the way through the Bible, this is one of those absolute footprints that you see. The woman at the well, if you remember, she said, how is it that you being a Jew ask me, a Samaritan, for a drink of water? Us peoples don't talk to each other. She recognized this is weird. When you see something weird, realize, look for God. Moses sees a burning bush. It doesn't burn itself up. This is weird. What's going on? Goes over, checks it out, meets God. Children of the day, 
in Moses or Noah's time. Here's a giant boat. All of a sudden, animals show up two by two getting in a boat. After a hundred years, he said there's going to be a flood. That's weird. But did the people say, hey, uh, can I get on that boat too? No, they made fun of him. In fact, the Bible says out of everybody, it was just Noah and his sons and his wife and, and their wives made it through the flood. When you see something out of the ordinary, look for God. Even the woman at the well said, how is it you talk to me? This is weird. But it's exactly what God wanted. Well, he goes on. uh, Verse 31, Moses saw it, burning bush, marveled at the sight drew near and uh, to observe uh, the voice of the Lord came to him, saying, I am the God of your fathers, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob. And Moses trembled and dared not look. Then the Lord said to him, Take off your sandals of your feet, since where you are standing is holy ground. I have certainly seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. By the way, God still called them his people, even though they were mumble, grumbling, and complaining, and even rejected Moses. God still called them his people. I like that because that shows there's hope for me. Because a lot of times we think God only uses you if you dot all the I's, cross all the T's, then you might make it. God says, no, I'm going to use you right where you're at. Well, look at this. He says, my people who are in Egypt, I've heard their groanings and have come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send you to Egypt. And Moses, they rejected saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge is the one who God sent to be their deliverer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. And he brought them out, and after he had shown wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years, this is that Moses who said to the children of Israel, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. In him you will hear. Moses is saying, there's going to be somebody like me come along and you're going to need to hear him speaking of Jesus Christ. You know, it's interesting to me how blind people can be when they don't want to see the truth. Things that are obvious You just can't see it. I'm really amazed today when I see the things going on in the world. When you have Putin four weeks ago say, World War III has already started. Friends, there's a lot more going on behind the scenes than we know. You have China running out of money. Their economy is in bad shape. Taiwan's a prize. Why not just take that? Like Russia tried to take the Ukraine. I mean, communism never works. The only reason it works at all is because you keep taking from people that have anything, but eventually those people run out. Well, we're just going to tax the rich. We're going to tax. And then while all the rich people are gone, we're going to tax the middle class. And when those people are gone, then everybody's making little umbrellas for their martinis. We're broke. Our industry is gone. All these things. But see, people don't see it. When people walk, the Bible says darkness Spiritual darkness affects every aspect of a person's life. Every aspect. 
When the darkness comes in, you don't even know what bathroom to go into anymore. Do you see how our entire nation is sliding away in the darkness? Because we don't know truth anymore. Jesus said, when you know the truth, it'll set you free. When you're free, you're free indeed. But the problem is we don't know truth anymore. We don't have absolutes anymore. True is true if it's true to you. That is a lie from hell. True is true, period. A lie is a lie, period. It isn't relativism that's being taught in our schools and in our colleges. There's absolutes. Well, sin isn't all that bad. Good isn't all that good. It's it's how you look at it. No, not at all. Well, if it's true to you, good for you. No, that's not what it is either. There are absolutes. And in the I believe in the endeavor of Satan to destroy humanity. And by the way, I want to share this with you. The devil hates you. The demons hate you. They have been after humanity ever since God created man and woman in the garden. When God created man and woman in the garden, the Bible says he saw that it was very good. I don't believe the devil was there then. The war in heaven comes along. What was the war in heaven over? Well, from what we gather from scripture, it was over you. God made the angels. They were grooving and jiving on that. Then God says, I'm going to make another creation lower than the angels, the scripture tells us. But those that choose to love me, having never seen me or known me, I'm going to call them my bride and elevate them above the angels. I believe that's what caused Satan and the third of the angels, the stars in heaven, to revolt with Lucifer. That there was going to be a creation above them. In fact, Isaiah 14 talks about you were perfect in all your ways till pride entered you. What would cause that pride? That there's going to be something better than you. Well, the Bible tells us that Satan revolted. And to this day, we see the devil's hand. You know, when a person gets wrapped up in uh, Satanism, gets wrapped up in, in demonic activity, Ouija boards, they get possessed, all this different stuff. Get wrapped up in drugs. Oh, look how much better they are since they've got that $10,000 a month cocaine habit. Look how much they've excelled. No. Look how they're dying. And when you look at the vices of the devil in humanity, the trick, how he repackages it. Oh man, look at the advertising agency, how they, they, they package, you know, the high life. As they're all drinking and smashing their cars into trees. No, they don't show you that part. See, the problem is we've been duped. And without truth, you don't know you've been lied to. If you're not a Christian here today, the Bible says you're in darkness. And you are absolute prey for the underworld and Satan's lies. And you can begin to buy into relativism. Or you can come to Christ and have absolutes in your life. You see, there is a way God designed things to work. We give away that video. If you don't have it, I have it for you. Just come up and tell me. I'll give it to you. Called God of Wonders. That God made everything. And he made everything for a purpose. 
King David writes concerning in Psalms, the trees of the fields clap their hands. And people say, oh, what, what poetic artistry. Not really. The little leaves shaken in the wind, that's what God designed them to do. That's what they do. That's okay. But God designed us to do something for him. But if we're not doing that, we're not functioning in the way God wants us to be this morning. If you're not a Christian, I would invite you to come out of the darkness into the light. Let God put absolutes in your life so you'll know how to navigate. Do you know you cannot navigate a ship on the ocean without reference points? Whether it's a GPS satellite or looking at the Big Dipper, you will not be able to navigate in the sea without reference points. You are in a sea of slop out there. And you will not be able to navigate your life without reference. Reference is truth. And so, because of that, if you're not a Christian, you're in darkness. And you're just drifting with the tide. Whatever the latest fad is, I'll go that way. Whatever the latest, you know, uh, thing that says I'm going to make you, and we just drift and drift. And we spend our whole life drifting only to die. This morning, we have communion. And in this, Peter said, by his stripes we're healed. The cup represents Jesus' blood, but the bread represents his body that was broken for us. And and this morning, I, I want you to think about something. If you're not a Christian, you need to be healed for a lot of things. There's a lot of hurts in your life, I know. But God heals those things. God's not, God's bigger than the things you've done wrong. This morning, as you would have communion, let God heal that. It might be your ability to love, to be loved, your memories, your ability to sleep, all those things that haunt you. God will forgive that and heal that. The cup reminds us that Jesus died for us. And that's what I want to talk about for just a second. His blood, when he died on the cross, covered your sins, removed your sins, and chooses to remember them no more. He says, as far as east is from the west, I choose to remember your sins no more. Do you know east never meets west? I'm so glad God didn't say, as far as the north is from the south. I choose to remember your sins no more. Because as you begin to go north, you get to the North Pole, and then you begin to go south. But east never meets west. West never meets east. God separates you. Your sins are what's holding you back. It's that ball and chain. It's those memories. It's those wish or would That's what God wants to save you from this morning. We're going to pray. And you can ask Christ to come in your life. If you're a backslidden Christian and you know what that is, you know you're not where God wants you to be. You just say, Lord, I'm sorry. And pray this as well. And let God rekindle that fire in you. Align your purposes with him. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is heaven. And you'll see God change your life and your life will mean something rather than just going from thing to thing, trying to find meaning in life. If you're not a Christian, that's why Jesus died on the cross, to bring you into his family, to heal you. Otherwise, communion is a 
meaningless ritual. In fact, Paul addresses this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. He says, if you partake of communion in an unworthy fashion, he said, for this reason, many are sick and dead among you. God provided a way you can be healed. God provided a way you can be restored and blessed. But if we just view it as some thing the church does, he said, for this reason, many are sick and dead among you. This morning, I just want to encourage you, if you've not prayed, let's pray. And let's get right with God, and then we'll have communion. And you can begin a brand new life with Christ. For you that are Christians, may it be that refreshing that you need. Because we live in a world that somehow always has a way of trying to get to us. Let's pray. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. And I believe Jesus died on the cross for me. And his blood covered my sins. And you rose from the dead to give me life. And so, Lord, I want you to be my Savior. I repent of the foolish way that I have lived. And so from this day forward, I commit my life into your hand. And so make me the best I can be for you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And thank you for eternal life. In Jesus' name. Amen.